Individuals, groups, including churches, even countries, tend to become closed off when they feel threatened or after they've been hurt. It takes courage, hope, and trust to open our hearts and live and speak and engage with others in ways that are expansive instead of restrictive and confining. The theologian Paul Tillich wrote, What is most characteristically human about us is the tension between the desire to be free, self-identifying and self-choosing, and to be related, to love and to be loved. The only real antidote to isolation and circling the wagons and cutting ourselves off, both as individuals or groups or even a country, is to risk opening up to new relationships, new levels of relationship, and thus new experiences and understandings. To make efforts at connecting, creating community, expanding the circle, to bring more people into the us and leave fewer people in the them until there is no us in them, just we. This is not always easy and often requires getting curious, leaning in and getting closer when we feel like moving away and avoiding things or people, to pull close instead of push off. As Unitarian Universalists, we have a great tool in our toolkit for doing this work of expansion and inclusion, covenant. We are a covenantal tradition and a covenantal people wherein we make promises to each other about how, how we will relate to each other and how we will treat each other. We balance in this covenantal effort individual freedom and commitment to our collective endeavors and our group health. One of the many things groups, including churches, struggle with in order to keep their covenants is practicing direct communication. In order to practice direct communication, one of the things we need to be wary of are emotional triangles. This is when a third person or party is brought into an emotional relationship between two others. For example, when a coworker never cleans up after themselves in the break room and you're irritated by it, and you go tell another coworker and complain about them, maybe even casually without thinking about it, call them a jerk or worse. Triangles are a fact of emotional life and a fact of relationships. Sometimes they can be a positive thing. We all need people with whom to vent and let off steam. We all do this. I do this. Thankfully, there are a couple people in this congregation as leaders who, who are there for me when I do this. I talked with a couple of them yesterday, and boy, was it helpful. <laughs> the difficulty with triangulation arises, however, when we make this the regular pattern of our communication. When it becomes our regular pattern, it can disrupt relationships and maybe cause more tension than it relieves when we let off the steam. At times, it can create an atmosphere where people feel like there's a lot of gossip, 
or a lot of talking behind each other's backs. When we try to avoid this and do our best to communicate directly, one of the benefits it gives us is it puts us more in touch with our own feelings and our own thoughts about things. And this stuff is not easy. It's really difficult for me to practice because, like all of us, my default evolutionary setting is fight or flight. To put up emotional walls or a physical wall across a national border or go on the attack. I teach this stuff to church leaders and it's hard for me to practice. And I have to remind myself always, are you practicing good communication? And the reality is sometimes I'm not, like everybody else. I think of a couple examples that have happened to me over the years. One of the congregations I served had a rather sporadic a member, attended every once in a great while, and got really upset at some decision I made about something in the church. And I had no idea. The only way I found out about this and how angry this person was is someone else in the congregation told me what the person was saying to other people in the congregation and to people around town. So my wall started to go up. And I said, okay, reach out. And I called and left voicemail. And I wrote an email And I wrote a card, and I wrote a letter, and I sent another email. Finally, I got a response from this person who said, leave me alone. I said, well, it seems you're really angry at me, and maybe we should talk, because as a Unitarian minister and part of our church, one of the things we do is try to communicate with each other and clear things up. And the person said, nope, don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. And I don't want anything to do with the church either. Sometimes we can make a really good effort at communicating and it doesn't work. Sometimes we don't get the results we want and sometimes we don't even know that we failed. Last year in my early days here, I went to a community meeting and I was very excited to be there. I was very excited to get going here. This is great. There's a member of the congregation there And I walked in, and there was an open seat at the other end of the table, and I took the open seat. Turns out that that person thought, well, why isn't the new minister sitting with me? Something wrong? And I never knew about it. One, I just didn't think of it. I saw the open seat and got going, and I wasn't paying attention to relationship or people I knew in the room chalk it up to whatever, but probably could have been better. But I didn't know. I missed it. I didn't find out about it until very recently. I was like, oh my God, I am so sorry. You know what? You're right. I totally didn't think of that. But I had no idea. There's no way I could have known unless the person would have told me. And it would have been great to learn because I... Learned a lot when I finally heard about it, about how to make sure I'm paying better attention to how I act and how I speak. You know, 
We all have blind spots. I used to teach this when I was a high school teacher in my ethics class. Spent the whole first marking period talking about self-awareness. And one of the assignments I gave all the students in my high school ethics class was to make a shoebox. And the shoebox is based on the Johari window personality theory. And the theory is about there's four parts of our personality. There's a public self, which everyone knows about. There's a private self, which only we know about or share with very, very few people, our most intimate stuff. There's an unknown part of our personality, things about ourselves we can't know yet, we haven't discovered, we haven't learned. And there are blind spots. Our blind spots are things we don't see about ourselves, and thus we don't realize about ourselves, and these can be positives or negatives. The only way we can learn about a blind spot is to have somebody tell us, because we can't see it. So I had to make a shoebox, where the top of the shoebox is the public self, something everybody can see. The inside of the shoebox, I can open my shoebox, inside is the private self, the bottom is the unknown, and the sides, which you can't see looking down at the top, are the blind spots. Every time I taught this class, I made a box, and year to year I would update it. Last year, as I've done in previous years while I've been in churches, I did it with the coming-of-age class and or a high school youth group. So this is my shoebox. One thing about the Johari window theory, it says the bigger your public self, usually the better communication relationships in groups. So, one of the things that's difficult to do when we're in new relationships, and I'm a year in and it's still new, is to get to know people. So one of the ways I offer is I'm going to leave my shoebox out. It's a holy thing. I'm going to leave it on the table here. Come look at it. Spend some time. Ask me questions about it. Maybe even on the side where the blind spots are that I can't see, leave me a note about a blind spot maybe I'm not seeing. Do it anonymously if you have to. Or maybe after looking at the box, send me a note, give me an email, call me, let me know, hey, I was looking at the box, something I want to tell you. I would love to hear all that stuff. Very much so. Anything we can do, I think, to help us keep covenant, our promises with each other, are good things. And I share my shoebox with that intent. Covenants, however, are not ideal or idealist. When we make covenantal promises, we are compelled to walk our talk. One thing I hate about walking my talk is when I've screwed up because it's really hard and most difficult to walk your talk when you've made a mistake. And everybody makes mistakes. Unfortunately for ministers, our mistakes are usually public and carry a lot more weight. 
We will all break promises at one time or another to varying degrees. And the failure isn't in the broken promise. It's in the neglecting to re-covenant, to say I'm sorry, to forgive, to take up the promise again, to do better going forward. Church, one of my favorite theological lines in our tradition from James Luther Adams, church is the place where we practice being human. And therefore, if we're practicing being human, it's a place where we practice building healthy relationships and using healthy communication strategies. We practice being vulnerable and seeking forgiveness and forgiving. Covenant calls us to begin anew again and again and again, to recommit to our promises over and over and over. The current issue of our Unitarian Universalist Church of the Larger Fellowship's monthly newsletter, The Quest, has the theme of beginnings. Some great little thoughts from the various sermons and essays in there this month. Reverend Craig Scott writes, Each of us has the experience of starting over, and in such opportunities we get to glimpse the spiritual ideas of redemption and resurrection. Lynn Unger, the religious education director at the Church of the Larger Fellowship, writes, Beginnings are really hard work. Which means anytime you take on something new, you are committing an act of faith. And faith, I would note, in religious terms, does not mean agreeing to some belief or other. It means trust. So each new beginning, each new start, each do-over is an act of faith, an act of trust. Reverend Mark Ward writes that beginnings are often connected to failure. We don't achieve what we'd hoped. We're faced with trying again or giving up. He notes the Buddhist teaching that the root of suffering is our experience of failure. This fall, we're starting my second church year here. There are many very good things about my first year with you. And there are many things to work on for all of us, including me. Some of them for me include trying to be more open and available, being a better listener, understanding how I might be not hearing or hearing people. So this morning, I'd like to ask us to renew our promises, renew our vows to each other, if you will. If there's anything I've missed or done or not done that you haven't liked or that has actually really hurt you, I'm sorry. And I need to know, because I can't do any better if I don't know. And I will do better myself at going to you and talking to you when there's something I'm not understanding about you. One of the things you get as a minister is you walk into a room and there are those people who run up and give you a hug around the knees no matter what is going on. And there are also those people who you swear would Walk out the door if other people wouldn't think it was rude once you, en- once you enter the room. And there's all in between. The more we talk, the more I understand how you feel. And the more you understand how I feel. It's an odd situation here with ministers and congregations. I'm not your employee. You're not my boss. I'm not your dictator. You're not my army. I'm the minister, and you're a congregation. 
When we had the installation ceremony last April, we effectively, basically, in the theology of our tradition, got married. And so today, I want to ask you to recovenant with me and renew our vows. The late Jack Mendelssohn, a very famous Unitarian minister of the latter part of the 20th century, wrote a piece called, Who is a UU Minister? This is the end of it. A minister is a person who continually runs out of time, out of wisdom, out of courage, and out of money. A person whose tasks involve great responsibility and little power, who must learn to accept people where they are and go from there. A person who must never try to exercise influence that has not been earned. A minister who is worthy knows all of this, and yet is still thankful every day for the privilege of being a minister. I couldn't agree more. He ends, the future of the liberal church is almost totally dependent on two factors, great congregations, large or small, and effective, dedicated ministers. And the strangest feature of their relationship is that they create one another. So, in renewing our promises this morning, I encourage us to create something wonderful. Let us look into each other's eyes and each other's faces, our church, and say simply, very simply, with hope. Good morning.